If you listen to this podcast backwards, then you're playing it wrong. Welcome to Playing It Wrong. Podcasts about RPGs, fun, food, more RPGs. Grab your dice, sit back, and get ready to play it wrong. And welcome, gentle listeners. It's another episode of Playing It Wrong. Playing it long, it's playing it wrong. Yes, the improv ramble cast where I talk about games and sometimes food and sometimes life in general. So, what's this episode about? Well, let's see. I'm going to ramble on about non-player characters. That's right. It's an NPC episode. Followed up by, well, let's see. We're going to have some readings from the ancient tomes. And well, there's no session summary because there was no gaming this week. And um, this will like also fall into D and D boot camp because handling NPCs really. Beginning DMs need to know this too. But first up, we've got a call in from Tim Shorts, aka Gothridge Manor, on Short Campaigns. Chuck, it's Tim Shorts of Gothridge Manor here, and I just listened to your. Well, I'm halfway through, so I got to listen to the rest of it about short campaigns, and I am uh, kind of a, a fan of those these days too, just because of. Uh, I. My group has the same issues yours does. We do have a lot of GMs that that, that like to run games, so <clears throat> it's sort of uh, almost a courtesy thing too. One, you don't want to bogart the whole time and everything, but uh, and that gives other people a chance to run games. And sometimes what we try to do is do a little co DMing once in a while, which is kind of fun. But uh, we run a hex style campaign, so sometimes it's hard to have uh, that. St- you know, I call it a story arc, but that adventuring arc, you know, to finish. But sometimes we work it in there so it works out that way. But yeah, I'm with you, Chuck. Short, short campaigns, I think, is better. And then I think you can explore more options. And that was shorts on shorts. I, I had to say that. Sorry. Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Tim. Keep the good work. So let's talk about non player characters right now. This, I'm, this got a lot of things that I said before on the Urban Adventures uh, episode. But I'm throwing in an anecdote, so hopefully it'll be a little more interesting. <clears throat> so, non-player characters, rule one, not every important character needs to be a non-player character. Or, especially, even unimportant characters need to be a non-player character. As a game master, you can kind of guess where they're going, and you're going to have your plot arc or your dungeon ready. So you're going to have kind of, you know, the quest giver or whoever along the way that you know may be important. But a lot of times, they don't come out being the most important or at least interesting non-player characters in the campaign. It's just usually, as that old joke goes, the random guy that the player characters just latch on to or the dice come up with. Which will lead me down that long, old gamer story of, here's the story of, an anecd- here's the story of what happened in my campaign. In this particular case, it was the last time I was running Dungeon Crawl Classics, so it's not that old of a story. So let's start this off with one of the things I was using was the carousing tables from uh, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, which is available on their website for free, at least it used to be, and I just downloaded that little tiny, I think it's a two-page PDF, and I've been using that as my carousing tables for a long time. And one of the player characters rolled the, yeah, got a romantic encounter, and that romantic encounter happens to be with someone who is involved with a powerful noble or someone powerful in the city. 
Well, they were kind of roadhouse, and they were heading towards the big city. Now, I knew who was powerful in the city. They didn't know yet, but one of the big power blocks in the city is the Thieves' Guild, but it's ran by halflings, so it's like, eh, that didn't quite work out, anything. But the reason the party was going to the big city is that the magic user was trying to find someone to teach him a patron spell, actually te- teaching them the get a patron spell, you know. So I decided then that this romantic encounter with the that the, that the player character had was with the daughter of the person that the magic user was looking for. So basically at the time when I, when we started off on this arc, I had no idea that we'll call which whom I called Lady Ramona was the magic user he was going to to learn the patron spell that she had a daughter. I really didn't have that much about her. Just then, eh, well, she knows the spell. You can try to go on a quest, drag the party in on a quest. But this random encounter suddenly makes things more interesting. So now we have the daughter, whose name I forgot. They go, lots of role-playing and awkward situations with the first daughter. The party played role-played well through this. They didn't quite, they, you know, the educator got their spell. They sort of made a grudging ally even though the NPC was trying to keep her daughter and the fighter apart but you know because they kind of also traded some magic items it was like okay we'll tolerate these people then they got I got like what else am I gonna do well I'm gonna send my quest looking for her estranged ie runaway husband who's another wizard which goes on another whole plot line out of this one random encounter with an NPC who was should have kind of been unimportant. But then we go to the third story arc. I'm like, what am I going to do? What what can I do to make things even more interesting? And I kind of came up with it. A second daughter. Who's the wild one? She's not a magic user. The entire family's magic users, except this daughter, who has problems with the actual powerhouse of the party, the of the city, the Thieves' Guild. Because she's an assassin, it's ran by halflings, she's a human, and they don't like humies in their thieves' guild. And she wants to move up. Well, she gets the party involved in this to help her with the thieves' guild. Mom's not that happy. Dad doesn't care. So Mom says, okay, I will do this favor for you if you marry my assassin daughter. Who turns out, goes like, does not want to get married, doesn't care about the person who's marrying him, and says, okay, I will marry you if you get me this ring. Here's a map to the dungeon. It was Dungeon Crawl Classics. I gave them a map to Grimtooth's Transylvania. <laughs> yeah, it was a deliberate, I'm going to send you off to get you killed. <laughs> That was Dungeon Crawl Classics, and you're expected to die. And it was it was a fun end of the campaign. But this is just an example of one random encounter with what should have been a inconsequential NPC to the whole story arc became one of the major points of the whole story arc. So my whole thing on NPCs is let sometimes the dice, sometimes the players, and sometimes the story really interject on who becomes important NPCs. 
and stat them when you need them. That's the great thing about old school games. You can fly by the seat of your pants for a session or two on an NPC with no stats. Just kind of keep some notes down what they can do or something special that you throw it out. Like a special magic item or some non-player character available ability or something like that. In the case, you don't need a lot of them. If you're running a game with a lot of NPCs, then my suggestion is use a system with really simple mechanics. Old school, um, old school publishing stuff like Dark Streets and Darker Secrets, you know, Sharp Swords of Sinister Sorcery, those that have really simple systems. So you can put an NPC probably in a line or two in a Word document or write it out as a line or two that you can just like sort of document and print it every couple sessions with important NPCs and just a little while. You don't need a huge stat block and that will just... I find that bogs down play and also can kind of pinch you in a corner. So enough details to run them, but not too many. I mean, it's 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 this is where DMing becomes an art form and not a science, where you kind of like go by the seat of your pants, go with your gut instinct, based on what you know about the game you're running and your players. And that's it. That is my rant on NPCs for this episode. Which, of course, for this episode, that means we're just moving on to the next segment, which you all lo- know and love. Tomes of Ancient Forbidden Knowledge. Man, <clears throat> I think I need to get a new mic. Actually, you know, this, I'm remembering about four or five other things I want to talk about. So, instead of being at the end of the episode, the Tomes of Ancient Forbidden Knowledge are going to be kind of in the middle. <laughs> hey, that means you have to listen to the end of the episode, goddammit. What was I on? What was I on my index card here? We were on miscellaneous weapons. Like I said, we are still going through the little brown books. We are only on supplement one, Greyhawk, and we have only made it up to magic items. And we are on the miscellaneous weapons. Last episode, we found some weird stuff about the Swords of Sharpness and the Vorpal Blade, which in original D&D were also holy swords, which made the paladins immune to magic. But let's go to miscellaneous items and see what kind of weirdness was in original D&D, along with some improvised commentary by yours truly. Arrows of slaying! Special magical arrows which are specifically enchanted to slay monsters with a single hit. Okay. Okay, they may slay any monster. Types should be giants, undead, flying. That's kind of vague. Other. (laughs) I like other monsters. Arrow of slaying. Other. Oh, nope, nope, that doesn't qualify. Um, that's kind of weird. Enchanted monsters, which it has invisible stalkers, elementals, golems, aerial servants, and so forth. I, I think in one of my original uh, uh, D&D campaigns in my younger days, I did have the item was the arrows of slaying with fill in the blank. <coughs> or like, it's an arrow of slaying. Was it kill? Archers. Okay, it's a cursed item. Get it? Anyway, okay. Crossbow of speed. Um, when employing this weapon, the user can get his missile shot away from the crossbow despite surprise. It otherwise allows plus three to, I'm supposed to say initiative, but it says in, in native dice. It fires as quickly as a bow before it cocks itself. So the plus three initiative, that's, that's, that's actually kind of different. Well, that's kind of interesting. Um... Crossbow of Distance, which doubles the range. Yay. Mesa Disruption. This is always a neat one. Let's see what the original Mesa Disruption was like. Well, first of all, it was a mace. It's a plus one mace. 
But when it strikes an undead creature, it will disrupt its molecular structure unless the creature is able to save on the clerics versus un... Whoa, whoa, whoa. <clears throat> Another bit of bad editing here, because this sentence just doesn't make sense. Okay. A mace, which appears to be nothing more than a plus one mace. But when it strikes any undead creature, it will disrupt its molecular structure unless the creature is able to save on the clerics versus undead monsters as if attacked by a patriarch, a.e. a vampire must roll 7 or better, a specter must roll 9 or better, a mummy must roll 11 or better, and all of the monsters are, all, are automatically disrupted. Okay, I think that means you're rolling on the turn undead chart. So basically, the monsters are rolling on the turn undead chart to keep from dying. I think that's what that means. I don't know. <clears throat> kind of weird. Curse of Spear. Curse Spear Backbiting. As you know, your host cannot read today either, so I'd like to apologize for that. And I'm occasionally coughing because, well, it's Texas and it's cedar season coming around. All right, this weapon appears to be a plus one, two, or three magical spear. Until it's used in, ang used in anger and melee against an enemy. At that time, if it is thrown, it will curve and strike the thrower's back. If thrust, it will curl in an arc and stab its user. Once again, this sentence, if you listen to it, does not make sense. It appears to be you know, a magic spear until it's used in anger and melee. At that time, if you're in melee and you throw it, it hits you. Uh, once again, this doesn't... Potions, extra healing. Well, it just heals more. Okay. Yeah, we're going on to... That, that was all the miscellaneous new weapons. So we're going to go on to potions. Oil of slipperiness, like extra healing is just more healing, guys. That's it. Okay. Nothing, 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 nothing to see. Moving along. Rather than being used as a potion, it must be rubbed over the body because if you drink it, it's now a laxative. Uh, when so anointed, a person will not be subject to web strands, tied knots, hugs, and the like. No hugs for you. Bill takes 24 hours to wear off, or it can be removed with wine at will and make a wonderful salad dressing, I must say. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to do a, you know, a special, also known as the oil of marination. It's just olive oil, guys. Yes, you're marinating your character just in case. Superheroism. It's just like heroism, but more. Um, oil of etherealness. Um, yeah, you go ethereal. Um, that was, I mean, even, even today in a lot of the books, that it's like, you've got like, one item that spawns a potion that just does what the neat one item does. So it's kind of there. Because there aren't that many. We're going to do rings next. And we'll save the wands, staves, and rods for next episode. Rings, shooting stars. The ring functions only during hours of darkness when the wearer is under an open sky. So it's very specific. It will cast light. Yay. Throw a fireball for 12 points of da damage, or hurl a solid missile for 12 points of damage. So it's a solid 12 points of damage. Doesn't say if it takes an attack roll or anything, so... Ring of Contrariness. When this ring is put on, it cannot be removed without a spell to remove cur... <sighs> it's not me. It's just my brain is trying to read a normal sentence, and then you've got weird sentences. Weird sentences like... Another weird sentence, okay? When this ring is put on, it cannot be removed 
without a spell to remove curse, and the wearer will not wish to remove the ring. It makes its wearers absolutely contrary, and he will act in the opposite fashion of normal slash requested. Yeah, it's like, I did a curse one time. I think it was also in DCC. I did a curse similar to that, that the character could not tell the truth. He always had to lie. So it was kind of fun until the party figured it out. <laughs> uh, so with that, I'm going to close out the Tomes of Ancient Knowledge for this episode. We're going to be moving on to the other stuff next week. We're going to keep going on. We're, we're, I'm going to milk this for as long as it goes, because we're going to be at Rod's... Rods, wands, and staves. Next episode, and there's a. It's almost looks like almost almost a page, even though they kind of go over there. But I forgot things I forgot to mention in this episode. Well, what have I forgot mention mention in this episode? Old school essentials. I got my Kickstarter box set in there. I have done a little YouTube video on it, and if you didn't watch it, just go to the blog. The links are there. They might be gazebos.blog, and yes, I have finally spurred it correctly, listeners, but Old School Essentials, it's a pretty damn good thing. Um, I like it. Um, clean layout, the rules we all know and love. The box is really thick, because you got so many books in there, but it's, it's still damn good. I, I you know... It's probably one of the handiest and easiest to reference rule books I've seen just because of the very simple layout. So, um, yeah, old school essentials. And I guess now over on Necrotic Gnome that if you didn't back the Kickstarter, you can order your own copy. And I expect a lot of good stuff to come out either related directly with its compatibility license or if people don't feel like really kind of messing with compatibility. Excuse me. Compatibility. I can't go one episode without getting tongue-tied. Sorry. Or messing with the compatibility license. Thank you very much. That it, you know, it's all OGL, so you can just... That, that it'll work with all the stuff that's for basic. I mean, what more could you ask for? Well... Alright, so with that, I will give you a do. It is now December, so things are going to be rolling down for the end of the year. And lots of news towards the end of the year and plans coming up. But that's going to be another episode. Probably more of a blog post. So I would like to thank you for listening. And go ahead and visit the blog at theymightbegazebos.blog. Like us on Facebook. I keep saying us when I just mean just like me on Facebook. They Might Be Gazebos. Search it. There's the YouTube channel. Subscribe. And of course, if you like this episode or other episodes or the blog posts or the crazy other things that I do with, you know, online, then go ahead. We've got for the podcast, if you're on Anchor, you can subscribe for a little a dollar a month. Or for the more generic folks out there who just love everything, you can go to patreon.com forward slash date might be gazebos. And like I said, for as little as a buck a month. Hey. Get more crazy episodes and get enough patrons. Guess what? It means more episodes, more blog posts, and more crazy fun stuff. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember our mantra, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff, and have fun. God damn it.